0: Hey, what's up? It's episode 43, pain points of wealth, and the major indices continue to march higher. Everything is focused on the Fed right now. Are they going to raise interest rates? Are they going to do it next year, the year after? Is the economy getting too hot? Is it going to slow down? Are we just going to get one big burst of demand from people with their stimulus checks before everything slows down and the market crashes? Well, that's what's on investors' minds today. We're going to address all those issues. We're going to give you our playbook this week for how you have to think about the markets, the economy, and on the tipping point today, we're gonna talk about all the biggest concerns our clients at Payne Capital Management have right now when it comes to their portfolio, their financial plan, so you can address the same issues in your portfolio. We got a great show,
1: let's hit the music. Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod. Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between.
2: Hey guys, this market is partying like it's 1999. I've never seen a market go straight up almost every day, every month, great quarter, great six months. This market's partying like it's 1999, and the Fed comes out and says, hey, we're going to take the punch bowl away. Well, that's their job, take the punch bowl away. But they're not going to do it until 2023. It's still 2021. Well, Bob, I like
0: when you add a, a Prince lyrics into anything you're talking about when it comes to the economy. But you know, when you say moving the punch bowl away, right? that just means that the Fed may raise interest rates, which that means borrowing rates go up and that would slow down the US economy. But guys, it's kind of laughable here when we're talking about the Fed raising the Fed's fund rate to 0.6% not 5%, not 6%, 0.6%, which is like the most nominal move up. It's like a little inch going up in interest rates, which are extremely low. And now we're saying, is that going to happen in 2022, 2023? It's no big deal. Rates are extremely low. It makes no difference. One, well, you know what, guys? It kind of reminds me of when we were kids, right? And I used to watch Tom and Jerry. And Jerry was a mouse. And there was an episode where he would roar like a lion. It was this little mouse roaring like a lion. And that's kind of what's going on here. The Fed's not really going to raise rates that much. They haven't raised rates that much. But you know, to our clients and the investors out there that listen to the news, they think it's like going to be like the 1970s all over again, where we had hyperinflation and it's going to cause a mess for our economy. But that's not the reality.
2: Well, that's the whole point, Chris. The Fed did not raise interest rates dramatically until we had 19% inflation. You know, They sat there on their thumbs waiting to see what happens. And finally, Paul Volcker, who was the Federal Reserve Chairman, Heat increase rates 10% in one day, guys. Think about that. 10% in one day. That's a huge increase. That's a message to the markets. Meanwhile, the Fed's telling us: hey, this party's going on. Growth is huge. 6.4% GDP last quarter, looking for 9 to 10% this quarter. Earnings season starts in earnest in two weeks. I'll tell you what, the numbers are gonna be mind-boggling if they're anything like they were this past April. Yeah, it's kind of like we're looking at the trees instead of the forest here, because your point, Bob, the Fed's gonna be behind the eight ball
0: when it comes to inflation. So we're looking at them as the leading indicator, and that's like absolutely incorrect here. Doesn't really matter what Jay Powell says or when they're gonna raise interest rates, the market's gonna determine it way before they do. And it's like, let's be real here, right? I mean, we literally have outrageously cheap money. We've got trillions of dollars that consumers are sitting on we know consumers drive the US economy. It's all about spending money. We know wages are going up. We've got a labor shortage. We've been talking about this week after week. And at the end of the day, if you're an investor, it's all about earnings going up and earnings continue to come in better than better. Like let's keep it simple here. The economy's going to rock. Companies going to make a lot of money and prices are going up, what else do we need to know here? <laughs> it doesn't matter if the Fed's going to raise interest rates in two years. Who cares? It's not news. Well, you know what, Right to your point about the economy growing, I think our best financial indicators are our clients. And I was talking to one of my clients this week, who happens to own a fishing vessel. They fish for scallops. And he told me that the price of scallops has gone up 300% since last year. He said the, the tiny little scallops that nobody wants to buy we are selling for $4 a pound. Now they're selling for over $13 a pound. Wow. And I bet you that restaurants are paying for it because if you're a restaurant right now, if you're going out to dinner, like here in New York City, going out at night A, you know, you're the wait list to get in anywhere is insane. And when you get there, the markup on prices is astronomical. And, you know, we've talked about this in the last couple episodes, but it's just simple. My costs have gone up. Demand for my services have gone up. What am I going to do as a business owner? I'm going to raise prices. And I think the other side of this equation is, too, is there's this narrative out there like, okay, consumers have this big pile of cash because we got all the stimulus from the government. Thank you, Uncle Sam. And everyone's just going to spend it in one big fail swoop. And that'll be it. But the reality of it is, if you look at U.S. consumers or the American household right now, we're more conservative than ever. The savings rate back in May was 12 percent. That just means that people are more fiscally disciplined than they were in the past. It's like a whole different dynamic then we saw when we had the great financial crisis, when everybody was leveraged on credit card debt. Completely different world now.
2: Well, I'll tell you one thing that's constraining the consumer is there's a lot of stuff you can't buy. You can't buy a boat right now. You can't buy an airplane. You can't buy scallops. My favorite seafood place isn't even open yet because they can't find dishwashers. They can only do takeout. You got to wait in this long line. You got to park around the block. They're making it difficult to spend your money. But trust me, guys, the U.S. consumer... Will always spend their money. We've been discounting the consumer since I was born, and you've always been wrong. The consumer is going to spend, and they're going to keep this party going.
0: Well, Dad, thank God you have friends in high places. I know somebody that can get you some scallops.
2: (laughs) I appreciate that, Chris. I do. Make sure it's not lobster because you know I'm allergic to it. But that's the thing, guys. We have in two weeks, we're going to start earnings season, and earnings are going to be big right across the board. I mean, we had huge increases in the first quarter back in April and March. Now you're going to see a huge jump again. And just like anything else, the analysts are typically behind that. So expect some big earning surprises coming in the next two weeks. Yeah. And speaking of earnings, again, when you think about
0: positioning your portfolio here, I think the other wrong narrative, because that's like half our show, is just making fun of Wall Street strategist and economist, is you know going back to big tech, right? We've seen some rotation where big tech, which did really nothing all year all of a sudden, has seen a little bit of life again. You've seen some money go back into the Teslas of the world, the Amazons, the Facebooks, Microsoft actually just hit over $2 trillion in market capitalization over the last couple of weeks. And there's this belief that, well, that trade worked great the last 10 years. That's where you need to have your money. But if you look at the big picture, and this actually coincides with our podcast, not just to promote here a little bit, but, you know, the growth trade or that big tech trade, if you go back to like the end of the summer when we started our podcast, hasn't worked as well as what we call value stocks, the companies that benefit the most from business activity picking up. So the bigger picture is that big rotation's still going on. And you know, I wrote this past week, you wanna win the war, not the battle. And to win the war, you've gotta have in your portfolio the kind of companies that benefit from the fact that business is picking up, and that's not big tech, not to stress that over and over again.
2: Yeah, well, we had small company stocks up 29%, mid-company stocks up 38% right? We've had, you know, a big move in what we call value stocks. And sort of, you know, if you look at the big megatech stocks you're talking about, Rye, they've been up the last three months, but they're just getting even to where they were almost a year ago. They've gone nowhere. And why are value stocks moving? Well, look what happened with the banks. They got a clean bill of health from the government. They passed the stress test, the third one in the last 12 months. And guess what they're doing? Increasing dividends. Morgan Stanley doubled their dividend. They're buying back stock over the next 12 months. $2 billion in dividends are going to be distributed by the banking industry. What are bank stocks? Financials. What are financials? Value stocks. Where did we tell you to be? All the stuff that's up big so far. Well, it is kind of funny because rates are low. It's hard to find yield.
0: Yet when you look at stock buybacks and the yield you're getting on bank stocks over the next four quarters, you're estimated to get an 8.5% yield. Now, again, guys, I'm not a rocket scientist here, but 8.5% yield, never mind if the market goes up or down is a pretty darn good yield considering that you get 1.5% on a 10-year treasury. And if I'm buying Amazon stock or Microsoft or Google, I'm getting almost no dividend at all. That's pretty awesome. Like That's where you want to put some cash. Like you just said, Chris, you want to go where the money is. Show me the money. Financial stocks is where the money is right now.
2: Well, that's why consumer confidence is off the charts up so far. It's the highest reading I've seen in years. And it's not just happening here. It's happening around the globe. And let's face it, places like Europe and Canada and Japan are a little bit behind our reopening, and that's coming. That's where there's a great opportunity is in international stocks where the PE ratios are lower, dividend yields are higher and climbing. They're going to go up more in Europe and Japan and China than they are here. The rest of the world's becoming more aggressive, guys. It's a place to be. you got to make sure you're diversified, not just in growth and value stocks in the U.S., but around the globe. Lots of opportunity to get both growth and yield. Again, you just got to think about it from a common sense perspective, because all good investing is really just
0: common sense. And like, take a company like Darden Restaurants, right? They own the Olive Garden. And we know, Bob, no one loves those unlimited breadsticks more than Chris. He could sit there all night and just have the unlimited salad and breadsticks. It's like his favorite pastime, because he's a classy guy. But that's a company that owns restaurants, right? They destroyed their earnings this past week, and their prices are going up. They're able to raise prices because demand's gone up. But meanwhile, last year, during the pandemic, when no one was going to the restaurants, they were just cutting costs all year. So as their profits come back, they're going to be fatter than ever because their overhead's less now. I mean, these are common sense concepts, but that's why money's going to keep flowing into these cyclical value stocks and away from growth. It's just because the growth or the earnings on companies that like own restaurants, own hotels, is just going to be much, much better. And invariably, that's where money eventually flows. You've got to reposition your portfolio for that. So the bottom line is, as Bob Marley once said, don't let them fool you. Don't let the Fed fool you interest rates going up marginally here is not that important. What's important is the world is just flooded with cash. Central banks around the world have fiscal and monetary policy cranked to 11 and people are making more money. They have more money. They're going to spend more money. That's what drives the economy. That's the trend you've got to be focused on right now. Hey, I hope you're enjoying episode 43, Pain Points of Wealth. And if you like our content, You love our content. Don't be shy. Click on that like button. Subscribe to our channel. You can click the notification key on YouTube so that every week you get notified of our newest episode. And if you have anyone else you know who could benefit from our content, don't be shy again. Please share our content. Show us the love. We doubled our listenership in the last two months. Keep the party going. We appreciate all of you for listening to our podcast. All right, Bob and Chris, given our collective 75 years experience advising individuals with their wealth at our firm Payne Capital Management, We have heard every financial concern under the sun. I thought we could address some of the more pressing financial issues that we're hearing right now from our clients that everyone's facing and how to address those issues. You know what, guys? One of the biggest questions I'm getting from our clients right now is, is my portfolio in a good position for inflation? What are we going to do about it if inflation goes to where it was back in like the 1970s, for example?
2: Well, first of all, Chris, I think that is an issue that should be on everybody's mind and has been on my mind since the day I started back in 1975, because inflation's real. Even though it's hidden, it's insidious, it's hideous, but it's always there. It's constant. And you know we're hearing all about you know what's going to happen with this coming inflation. Well, what about the inflation that's already here? You know, when we run financial plans for our clients every day and we do these wealth projections, we're showing that even at 2% inflation, the cost of living is going to double every 20 years. And a lot of you aren't prepared for that.
0: No. And the thing is, we've had this narrative for a long time is what we see, and we look at about 50 portfolios a month, we probably look at more portfolios than almost any firm In the financial services industry is most of you have the portfolio of the last decade and you look at the last decade it was deflationary you had interest rates coming down the dollar was strong so anything we bought overseas our purchasing power was amazing because the dollar was so strong versus other currencies so everything was cheap now going into this new environment what we've learned based on history is the same portfolio doesn't work moving forward that worked the last 10 years and most
2: of you haven't adjusted to that You know, guys, and that's really what the current discussion is right now. And I think what you have to think about when it comes to inflation, is it it going to be exactly what it's been over the last 12 months? Is it going to be higher or lower? Now, you know, we're all track guys, right? And I I don't know about you, but I've been watching the U.S. Olympic trials with great interest. And I love to watch the intermediate hurdles because, you know, the key is you got to get over those hurdles and still run a quarter mile in under 50 seconds, which is to me just incredible. But when you look at inflation, is that going to be above the hurdle or is it going to be below the hurdle? And I think that's the thing you really got to determine. My thinking is it's going to be a little more than what people expect.
0: Yeah, and if it is, we've seen this for the last, you know, we've said this since the end of the summer right now, is you need a portfolio with commodities. You need a portfolio where earnings go up because cost of living is going up or pricing power goes up. And that's where restaurants benefit. Chris, you're just talking about your client who has a scalps business. He's able to raise his prices. So that's invariably where the action's gonna be And a portfolio of growth stocks and those dreaded bond funds. Because the other question we're getting all the time is, is it bad to own bond funds here? The answer is yes. It's very bad to own bond funds here because as rates go up, bond prices go down. And when
2: you're in a fund, we know how disastrous that can be, guys. And that's right, right? You know, we're not saying that inflation's definitely going up or going down but you're saying you've got to be prepared. And a lot of you are not prepared because we know not just individual investors are missing the boat, but institutional investors. Chris, what would you guess? Where's more money going right now in the big institutional portfolios, into venture capital funds or into a commodity fund?
0: Most likely going into venture capital funds, those more speculative investments. Right, because it comes down to what we call this long-duration assets Versus short duration assets. And all that means is when you're waiting for a profit many, many years in the future, and that's the thing with things like private equity, where you're putting money in it because you're thinking about getting return way out in the future and it's very illiquid. Well, that's not as immediate as all of a sudden everyone wants to build a house at the same time and lumber costs go up like three times. You know, those immediate price hikes, where do the benefits going to be? And it's not in those long duration assets. In fact, now there's more competition. If you're Tesla and you're trading for 150 years worth of profits, well, it become less valuable, especially where you're in a situation where prices are going up in the short term. And that's why money is invariably going into what I would call shorter duration assets right now, to use a fancy term. Well, Quote Wall Street, they said, quick buck artists come and go with every bull market. It's the steady players that get through the bear markets. Are you saying Bob's just a quick buck artist who's trying to get a quick sale, Chris? Right, absolutely not. Dad is a slow, steady player. That's why he's been around the
2: business for over 40 years.
0: But he's just so smooth.
2: You would never know. Hey guys, I'll pick it quick or slow, but I just want you to know the color of my bucks are green. All right, green. And I got green on the screen today. I'll tell you that much. But here's the thing. You've got to have an unconventional portfolio to win. And, you know, Rye, you brought it up earlier in the podcast, Stocks like Amazon, Apple, Tesla. Tesla's not even close to where it was six months ago. But these other stocks are just getting to where they were. You don't want to sit there with a portfolio and go, wow, look how much money I made two years ago. I mean, is it about making money now? You got to make sure that you don't just want to win conventionally. It's so comfortable to be in a conventional portfolio because everybody, your neighbor, the person in the cubicle next to you, your parents, they all have the same portfolio right now. You need to be diversified to win in this environment. Remember, we gave out win buttons back in the 70s. Well, you guys weren't even born yet. It was, you know, a win against inflation. I would think that was Jimmy Carter's idea. Horrible idea. But we want to have a portfolio that wins today because you will have more inflation. You want to have some inflation hedges in your portfolio. You're not going to do it just being in mega tech stocks.
0: Yeah, and that's definitely where most of your money is right now. The other question we're getting a lot is, should we be doing anything to lower our taxes? How are we going to pay for all this stimulus in government spending? And I don't think, again, you need to be an economist to figure out that Taxes are probably going up. Someone's got to pay for these trillions of dollars worth of infrastructure projects, you know, worth of benefits that we've been giving out over the course of the last year, going into next year, even more stimulus. So the question is, how do you prepare for higher taxes? And I would say most of you are not preparing for higher taxes.
2: Well, you know, I'm going to quote
0: our accountant friend down in Florida, Nick, who says, "Give unto Caesar that of which is Caesar's, but don't give him any of yours." In other words, don't pay more taxes than you have to. And there's a lot of things in your portfolio that you can do to reduce the amount of taxes that you're paying. Things like owning, you know, exchange-traded funds or owning municipal bonds, for example.
2: Yeah, but the biggest killer of performance in my career, guys, has been anticipating a tax increase and waiting to see what happens or investing accordingly. You know, taxes are a fact of life. It's something that, you know, at some point, there's only two certainties in life, death and taxes. Taxes is something we can minimize, you can't eliminate, but you want to have an ongoing strategy on how to handle taxes. Never invest based on anticipation. you know, Based on the campaigns over the last two years, we're supposed to be paying 40% on capital gains tax right now. We're supposed to have a 40% corporate income tax. Well, based on how far Washington's gotten with their tax increases, I think pretty soon they're going to be talking about tax cuts. They've been walking back all these outrageous proposals. I love gridlock. Believe it or not, we have gridlock in Washington. It's the greatest thing ever for financial assets and for your pocketbook.
0: So, Dad, what you're saying is that basically gridlock is a very bullish sign.
2: Gridlock is a bullish indicator, Chris, one of my best indicators. You know what? I love politicians, especially when their hands are tied. The less they can do, the better. But I think, look, if you look at it, you're probably not going to get the most outrageous
0: tax hikes that you've heard about, right? You're hearing a lot about it basically going up to like, I don't know, 40% on your marginal income bracket. You're talking about capital gains going to 40%, just insane numbers out there. But I think if we're realistic, you're going to see some sort of hike in taxes, And, you know, when we look at portfolios and we look at financial planning, we're always looking at ways that we can optimize taxes. You know, one of my favorite sayings is it's money saved in taxes. It's just as green as any money you can make invested. And a lot of things we're doing for our clients right now is we're taking big capital gains if we can, because probably capital gains rates are going to go up. You know, we've had low capital gains now for almost two decades. We're looking at Roth conversions where you can take some of your retirement money, convert it so it's tax free for life and doing it now, why tax rates are relatively low. There's a lot of proactive strategies you can be using on your portfolio. And again, most of you aren't doing that, and this is the
2: time to do it. You know, don't be reactive like you just said, Bob, be proactive. You know, it's been amazing. All through my career, there's been times almost every year where the market's at an all-time record high. And I'm looking at my machine right now, market's at an all-time record high. And I guarantee you, I'm going to have a meeting somewhere in the next week or two where the client's going to say, Bob, how can the market be at an all-time record high when things are so bad? Taxes are going up, interest rates are going up, inflation's through the roof, the government's printing money. I've been hearing this for 47 years. And every year, you know what happens? The market goes up. So I think what we want to do is have a strategy that bets on, you know, just like those stairs in my hallway. Where do they go, Chris? Where do they go, Rye? They go up. That's where the market's headed.
0: Bob, Chris, and I now have a collective 75 years helping individuals just like you with your planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day. Everything you hear on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you at any stage of your own financial journey. But if you want a more hands-on approach and you've saved over $500,000... Bob, Chris, and I will put together for you our complimentary at no cost review, our total financial master plan. We'll literally do a full review of all your investments, a full audit. We'll look at the fees that you're paying. We'll look at tax optimization. How can you save money on taxes? We'll do a full income and expense plan to make sure that you're on your path to financial independence. Simply go to www.paynecm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial consultation. Hey, hope you're enjoying episode 43, Pain Points of Wealth. If you like our content, you love our content, show us the love. Click that like button. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can subscribe to our channel and click that notification button so every week you can be alerted when a new episode of Pain Points of Wealth is out. And we've doubled our listenership, so thank you over the last two months. The podcast is growing, so don't be shy. Forward this to anyone else who can benefit from our insights every single week about the financial world. So check it out and thank you. All right, gentlemen, the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. All right, Bob. In a recent research paper, underperformance of public retirement plans was attributed to mainly overpaying for alternative asset managers who could be replaced by cheap index funds,
2: saving something like $70 billion a year. Wow. Wow is right, Ryan. Here's a little hidden fact of finance. The markets are a zero-sum game. So if somebody's winning... That means somebody's losing. And does it surprise you that public retirement plans end up on the losing end? No shock here. Well, it's amazing because
0: we all get offered all these alternative products and all these brokerage products hoping that we can game the market. And to me, if I'm a several billion dollar or 20, 30 billion dollar pension plan who has access to the best managers and they can't game the market, what chance do
2: you and I have low cost indexes are the name of the game? I just wish I could let every public retirement plan. No, my favorite Bob is, right, And that's Wall Street's full of ordinary people promising to give you extraordinary results. Sad but true, Bob.
0: Sad but true. Chris, inflation in 1974 ran at 11%. And that year, the third year treasury was at 9.2% before rising all the way to 21.5% in June of 1982. But don't worry, it can't happen again. History doesn't repeat. That could never happen again, Chris. Well, my question is to dad, dad, why didn't you just buy a bunch of 30-year treasury bonds back in 1982 and just call it a day?
2: Well, it makes you think I didn't.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Whenever somebody says it can't happen again, guess what? It's probably going to happen again. Well, I think the other important lesson here is it took many years for that 30-year treasury to get to 21.5%. So yes, inflation is probably going to go up, but it's probably not going to happen overnight. All right, another great show. If you like our podcast, love our podcast, please subscribe, click the like button As always, stay loose and keep an open mind.
1: Thanks for listening to the Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully, you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Pain Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Pain Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.